Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. This is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. This is the Health, Medicine, and Bioscience Edition. Um, I guess today is over in India. Let me grab his bio for a second. Okay. His name is uh, Prasanth Surajavala. Uh, he works at a, uh, a research pro- uh, place over in India, and uh, we're going to be talking about exomes. Um, he has a PhD in uh, systems biology, uh, Department of Biotechnology and Bioinformatics. Um, again, a research scientist at the uh, Birla Institute of Scientific Research in Jaipur, India. So, Prash, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for your kind introduction. Uh, very happy to be here. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Doing good. How do you do? Very good. Well, tell me about uh, exomes. There's a lot to look at. It's a new field, a uh, growing yeah. field. What is it that you're studying about them? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, uh, you know, come uh, next generation sequencing, you know, uh, one needs to uh, identify uh, a lot of mutations you know, for certain diseases. So if, if, uh, if a disease is of uh, subsequent interest to a research community, or if the disease is pretty rare, or if the disease is uh, coming from a geographically specific niche area, then probably uh, clinical exomes is uh, the correct answer. So uh, from, from next generation sequencing approaches, uh, there are two entities. One is the whole exome sequencing, uh, and the other one is uh, whole transcriptome shotgun sequencing. So these two uh, are in addition to the whole genome sequencing approaches that uh, uh, the next generation sequencing or the so-called the now generation sequencing has seen, has seen of ages. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you sequence all, you're sequencing all the exosomes that a cell puts out? Is yeah, that what you're uh, saying that's it- possible? I, I, I beg your pardon, Richard. It's not exosomes. It's exomes. Exomes by meaning uh, coding only the exonic chunks or the coding chunks of a genome. So, so Ooh, we'll be, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not uh, exosomes. So, so uh, in a eukaryote, we have uh, about ninety-eight point eight percent of ninety-eight point two percent of uh, introns and about one point eight percent of uh, exons you know which code for proteins so uh, this 1.2 percent uh, of uh, uh, the entire uh, uh, exonic chunks would translate to somewhere around uh, you know 34 to 38 mb region in humans and this plays a very important role because we need to identify what are those particular mutations present in the affected individuals where those mutations are seen in them and which are not seen across uh, the healthy population so well, if you wouldn't uh, mind in the dna you, you mentioned introns you mentioned exomes can you talk about the the various areas of dna that occur and then what the, the basic job of each is as an overview yeah 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 certainly so uh, so uh, to start with um, uh, we have uh, 
um, the nucleus has a central core of uh, an eukaryotic cell. So uh, we have about uh, a trillion cells in uh, human uh, body and uh, the human genome is uh, deployed. So there's about 3.2 billion bases of human genome for a haploid set. So which translates to about 6.4 GB of uh, 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 human genome in size. So, uh, so the, the euchromatin is interpoiled or intertwined inside the nucleus. And uh, uh, a bit of this particular intertwined chromatin or a bit of a DNA is nothing but a gene. So a gene has got both introns and exons. So as I, as I told you, in case of eukaryotes, you've got a lot of uh, intronic chunks, which is about 98.2% uh, of the entire human genome is making up around, uh, 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 making up intronic uh, chunks, which doesn't code for any proteins, uh, but which was uh, at some point of time believed to be junk, but it's no longer believed to be junk because they play a larger uh, role in uh, regulation. Uh, that's a different side of the story, but we're talking about the, the most important stuff, which is going to be the coding chunks. So uh, the exonic boundaries play a very important role because it harbors a lot of uh, mutations. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the mutations that are present in the non-coding regions uh, harbors a lot of you know, genetic variation. So you find a lot of genetic variation sitting in the non-coding RNAs, not necessarily the coding chunks. So the beauty here is, uh, in terms of exomes, we're only uh, talking about uh, identifying uh, SNPs present in these coding chunks. But we'll also talk about whether or not these SNPs, which we identify, have an influence on the SNPs present in the uh, intronic regions or the intronic boundaries. So. Uh, so this is where you know uh, the the idea of you know uh, targeted amplicant sequencing comes into picture, which means uh, we could probably sequence uh, an iota of uh, exonic chunks and also a part of uh, intronic chunks, you know, put together. So that's where you know uh, this is uh, what we call it as a targeted uh, sequencing or targeted amplicant sequencing. Yeah. Um, but so it's, you want to target. So okay. So it's possible to sequence exomes and introns. Is the whole, you know, the entire DNA able to be sequenced, or there are parts that we still can't? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Certainly. Yeah. So, um, so the whole DNA can be sequenced, exon, exomes, and introns included. Yes. Yes, yes. If 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 we want to sequence the entire DNA, that's that's what we call it as a whole genome sequencing. But in a whole genome sequencing, you know, the depth of coverage. Uh, although you know we could uh, achieve higher depth of coverage, uh, it would be pretty expensive. So, uh, but but things are in place now. Uh, many uh, researchers or many clinicians who wanted to identify mutations for their desired phenotypes are going for whole genome sequencing, rather whole exome sequencing, because they believe that uh, taking, uh, uh, taking a slightly uh, bigger depth of coverage and uh, sequencing the whole genome would be an ideal uh, uh, measure, rather going for a whole exome sequencing or going for a whole, uh, uh, whole transcriptome you know, sequencing. So 
but but imagine you know we are we are paragliding or parachuting you know say uh, 10 kilometers above the earth uh, we might see some gray areas you know which may not really identify uh, certain geographical regions you know somewhere 10 kilometers above the sea level uh, or 10 kilometers you know from the outer space but if we zoom in if we come somewhere near uh, 2 kilometers above the above the uh, earth we might see some places which we could certainly identify and if we can identify a certain uh, spot where we wanted to uh, fall in that's where you know we could zoom in further so let's imagine we are somewhere about 800 meters or 500 meters above the earth and that's where you know we can accurately say that yes you know this is where you know we need to uh, we need to land or we need to you know uh, you know uh, stretch our wings and come down so 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 this is just like this so uh, higher the depth of coverage better the visibility and better the per chance that you know we could identify the uh, mutations so so the whole genome sequencing when the human genome project was launched the 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 coverage was just you know uh, uh, 2x to 4x but thanks to the next generation sequencing these days you know we could uh, even go for 100x depth of coverage uh, for whole genome sequencing I'll be the fact that you know. It what, what does that mean? What does that mean if uh, you know if you're sequencing the whole genome? What are you missing? What does the depth of coverage mean? Yeah, we we would not be missing anything, but probably you know we would certainly miss uh, miss the uh, so-called you know bona fidelity if we are going for a lesser depth of coverage. So if we're going, the ideal would be about twenty-five to thirty x. So we might identify SNPs. We might certainly definitely. Uh, definitely identify the mutations. We would definitely identify the structural variants. We would definitely identify the copy number variants. We would definitely identify those variants, you know, um, that are coming across both intronic and as well as exonic chunks. Um, uh, but but probably, you know, with a lesser precision. So so we might need to zoom in. We might need a greater depth of coverage to check the bona fidelity of those particular SNPs or mutations that we identify. So, so uh, 30x may not really be an ideal, uh, ideal uh, target. Probably we might go up. We might say that it's about 60x could be an ideal one or probably 80x or probably 100x. But again, you know, uh, greater the depth of coverage, uh, greater is the cost of that particular whole, whole genome, you know, that needs to be sequenced. So, so, so it all depends. I heard too that you can't leave the, um, the DNA intact to sequence it. You have to break it up into pieces. And the longer the pieces, the more accurate you are. So how does that play in? Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so that's where you know, uh, the basic next generation sequencing concept you know, comes into picture. So the DNA is uh, broken down into different fragments, small fragments. And the fragment size can be uh, decided well in advance. So... Uh, the earlier days, you know, the fragment size used to be only 50 bases or 100 bases. But uh, thanks to the now generation sequencing, so we have got um, good instruments, you know, that could read uh, 150 uh, bases uh, or the fragments, you know, that can be split into 150 bases, 200, 250, 300, these days up to 400 or even 500. 500. And uh, if... Um, if uh, these fragments are spliced or these fragments uh, are, 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 are made, they need to be identified. So we have something called uh, adapter and linker, linkers, you know, ligate to these particular fragments so that, you know, uh, we can uh, 
clamp them, and then we can identify what these particular fragments are up to. And then comes the orientation. So we can read uh, the basis present in this DNA from uh, left to right or right to left or from either way several times. So if you are reading uh, uh, the DNA basis from uh, say five prime to three prime end orientation or one way, that is what we call it as a single end uh, uh, chemistry. Whereas if you read from both the ends, that is what we call it as the paid end reads. And um, several paid end reads make up something called mate pair chemistry, which is what we call it as MP. So um, uh, mate pair uh, reads are uh, seldom used uh, uh, these days unless your lab is rich. But an ideal would be uh, 150 base pair uh, paired in chemistry, so which we call it as a two uh, by p uh, two by p paired in chemistry, so which is about two by 150 base pair. So which means each fragment would be of size 150 bases. And then, so post library preparation, so which means you clamp the adapters and uh, linkers, then you send these particular uh, uh, fragments, you know, uh, for sequencing uh, through these particular machines. So this is how we know um, it is done. And then you map it to the reference. So usually when you map it to the reference, you need to know whether or not uh, your uh, sequence of interest has got any uh, reference uh, genome you know, associated with that. Uh, otherwise, uh, one could go for something called de novo assembly, so which means you would start right from scratch without uh, assuming that that particular uh, sequence uh, as no bona fide uh, uh, entry into the database or bona fide uh, sequences associated with the database. So it doesn't have a reference. So we would start from scratch and we'd come to know that certain sequences might be associated with so many uh, uh, taxonomical clades or so many uh, so groups or genera and such as such. So this is how we know uh, we, we go for uh, you know, sequencing. And, and of course, the final stretch is the downstream analysis. So after you map to the reference, uh, in case of reference mapping, uh, we identify uh, the mutations in case of uh, whole genome sequencing or whole exome sequencing. And, uh, and, and now comes a very important- um, so, so will the, will the fragments you know, at 150 base pairs or larger, will that be better sequencing and why? Why is it better yeah. to have bigger fragments? That's, that's certainly a very good question. In fact, not necessarily. Uh, it all depends on, um, um, on, on, on how good the depth of coverage is. So uh, in case of uh, whole exome uh, sequencing, so if you're going for, say, uh, 100x coverage, you would certainly fall short of 100x. So not necessarily the sequencing machine uh, would cover um, 100x uh, uh, under X uh, coverage of your genome. So you would probably slightly fall short of say, um, say maybe uh, 8X or 9X. So say in principle, it would be only 90 or 91X, you know, the coverage. Um, uh, having said that, if the fragment size is bigger, uh, you could definitely map those particular sequences uh, uh, to a better readability. But, uh, but, the, but the precision of those particular sequences that are mapped to those particular uh, uh, readable references uh, needs to be thoroughly checked. So, so it doesn't make any sense if the, if the, uh, if the, if the fragment length is quite big. Uh, but, uh, but the last 15 minutes of uh, 
my uh, talk was largely meant for something called uh, short read sequencing, so which is which is like you know uh, iInterrent or Illumina based sequencing. But we could even go for larger uh, applicants uh, where we could even read uh, larger size sequences of more than say. Um, thousand bases or even you know five thousand bases at one go so that's where you know these uh, uh, pack bio uh, which is uh, a well-known sequencing uh, company that measures these particular long reads uh, there's also another uh, another uh, uh, another uh, sequencing technology called uh, oxford nano pore technology which which is abbreviated for ont so this is uh, this has become uh, uh, a wonderful uh, champion for next generation sequencing these days. Uh, that is, uh, that is what we call it as um, um, Oxford Nanopore Technologies Minion Technology. So, which is a USB-based stick that is connected to the laptop or your desktop, and then you can read uh, uh, the sequences in real time, where you simply sample the sequences in your flow cells and then measure uh, measure the measure the reads. Um, and again, ONT has got a greater precision uh, as well. Uh, there are several minions in a club together. There's something called Prometheon. There's something called Gridion technologies, which have shown you know, some kind of you know, success. Um, yeah. So, uh, so this is there's a difference between you know short read uh, sequencing and uh, long long read sequencing uh, chemistry. So, 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 so in conclusion, what's the end goal of your sequencing you want to better identify mutations and what does that mean better if so what do you what will you figure out that has not been figured out already yeah so 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 i would i would probably uh, you know uh, uh, chose wisely what what needs to be done so for example if if at all if i were to uh, identify uh, mutations that have not been discovered say for uh, a ray diseased phenotype, I would probably start with whole exome sequencing as a pilot. And uh, if the lab is rich, if we have got you know, sufficient money, probably I would directly go for whole genome sequencing at a greater depth of coverage. So, so the I- ideal would be uh, uh, the pilot experiment would always be the whole exome sequencing because we would always try to infer what are those mutations present in these uh, affected population where these particular mutations are not seen in the unaffected individuals. So, so that's where the whole exome sequencing comes in. Um, what about um, epigenetic effects, methylation and you know, histone yeah. action? Does that happen in the region of the exomes or the introns? I, you know, I've never heard that talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so certainly uh, that's, that's indeed a splendid question. Um, um, seldom, seldom do we find uh, 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 the epigenetic changes uh, from a whole exome sequencing, but it all depends on uh, uh, how the cell uh, has nurtured itself, what kind of you know, environmental influence this particular cell has had during its uh, lifetime. So, uh, so, so if you take an exome, so, so let's imagine um, exome is nothing but uh, a union of all the exonic chunks. Say, uh, say uh, if you take one gene, which has say about 12 exons so we would ideally sequence all the 12 uh, uh, exons uh, all the 12 uh, chunks of those particular exons and then um, 
we could even probably target uh, the intergenic boundaries as well. So, which means uh, these 12 exons has got about 11 inter 11 introns between them. So, ideally, there might be certain intergenic non-coding RNAs present in between them as well. And uh, if we go further upstream of the whole gene at, at five prime untranslated regions, or even further downstream, which is three prime untranslated regions, uh, for the five prime UTRs, you have got something called promoter, you've got open chromatin elements, you've got, uh, uh, you've got uh, something called DNA's hypersensitive sites, or even you know, some kind of you know, long non-coding RNAs. So the area between the DNA's hypersensitive sites and uh, the start site of the exon harbors a lot of you know, methylation events. So, so this is where uh, uh, a large research is really focused on. Uh, but ideally from a, from a whole exome sequencing or from a clinical exome, probably it, it may not be a good idea to identify the methylation patterns or methylation events from a whole exome sequencing. So for this, um, um, a new technology has uh, popped up some uh, uh, years ago, which we call it as a MedipSeq, which is a methylated uh, immunoprecipitation sequencing where the entire uh, uh, exons and its boundaries are sequenced and check for any methylation patterns. So that is what we call it as a MedipSeq. So that is an ideal uh, way to look into the methylation, methylation patterns. Uh, nevertheless, uh, if you're going for a higher depth of coverage, probably uh, whole genome sequencing, uh, sequencing is also uh, an, an, another alternative to identify the methylation patterns. Yeah. So, okay. Um, are there particular conditions that you think that this, uh, this new type of sequencing will, will show? I mean, what are the, uh, you know, the clinical outcomes or potential outcomes for this new sequencing? Uh, yes, I mean, uh, probably I'll just try to uh, put it, uh, put our case study, uh, which, you know, uh, we, we have worked extensively uh, the last uh, two and a half, three years. Um, uh, ours, um, uh, our, our research has, uh, has been, um, uh, as, 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 uh, as dealt about uh, identifying uh, mutations from a rare disease called pouch colon, which is congenital pouch colon. Uh, we did get some serendipitous results. So uh, what we discovered was, or what our potential application was to identify the mutations uh, uh, in, a, um, in a family of uh, 16, so which is about uh, quad. So you've got about 16 probands, which means 16 affected individuals, 16 children their father, mother, and of course, you know, again, unaffected sibling. So we did identify, um, we did identify um, mutations that are absolutely de novo, which means those mutations that are present only in affected individuals and not seen in either mother or father. Um, but, but more to that, what we observed from a whole exome sequencing was we identified uh, a long intergenic non-coding RNA that was shown to be having an influence on one of the uh, genes responsible for uh, this uh, causal to the ray disease. So this was one of our recent uh, studies. So this is certainly a serendipitous thing. You might ask me, 
how come from a whole exome sequencing we could identify a long intergenic non-coding RNA which is coming from an intron. So, so that's where you know uh, a typical uh, library uh, preparation was uh, given MS. Maybe one of the sequencing librarians who chopped off the exons, he could have probably uh, taken certain uh, intronic chunks as well and invariably one of those long non-coding RNAs was sitting in those particular regions and that was how you know we, we tried to discover. So it's basically uh, you know a targeted applicant sequencing uh, in disguise you know and um, that is where you know we published and one of our first authors Sonal Gupta she worked on it and uh, this pouch colon is suddenly a very rare disease in uh, India in the state of Rajasthan and our clinical collaborator uh, uh, Dr. Praveen Mathur he has done a lot of surgeries on this and we were uh, uh, we were uh, trying to identify a lot of mutations uh, in these particular patients so so uh, so our head of the department dr krishna mohan and uh, dr praveen mathur they they conceptualized this particular project and these are the data sets that i analyzed as uh, another co-principal investigator so 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 the take-home message here is it all depends on the kind of applications that uh, as a scientist no one would look into so as a researcher our point was of course to identify the mutations from the exonic boundaries but we were also looking uh, from 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 an ideal point of view whether or not these snips that we identify have got any uh, influence on on on, uh, on 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 the on 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 the genes or or uh, or any other particular genes that play a very important role towards regulation of the disease so this was what you know we asked for um, the common most thing is uh, from a whole exome sequencing, you'll be chopping off the entire 34 MB to 38 MB of the entire uh, human, uh, human, human exons, and you would identify the mutations. But in a clinical exome, probably you would only look into those genes that are specific to a deceased phenotype. So you would only look into those uh, genes and identify the mutations only to those particular uh, 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 genes responsible for that particular disease. So that is where you know the clinical exome comes into picture. So clinical exome is uh, is invariably cost effective when compared to the whole exome or whole genome. So you would only look into a smaller component of the entire uh, exonic chunks from the human genome. And this is where uh, you know one would ideally look into. Yeah. So are there any surprises with uh, your level and your version of sequencing that weren't there before? that you're seeing? Uh, certainly, uh, this was certainly, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when we said, you know, it's serendipitous uh, results, you know, we were, um, we were absolutely, you know, over, overwhelmed and uh, we, were, we were quite ecstatic. And we thought, hurrah, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely uh, a great, great moment. So we, uh, what we did was we, of course, in a cross-check, we, we, we used a Smith-Waterman algorithm, which is a well-known uh, um, algorithm to check the pairwise alignment to check or to compare two sequences whether or not they're similar. So we uh, complemented this bioinformatics strategy with a uh, with a uh, with an in vitro experiment using a biophysical method called microscale thermophoresis. So uh, and, and, and we did confirm it. Um, coming to the surprises, uh, I don't think you know uh, clinical exomes uh, uh, would identify only the SNPs, you know, coming from the exonic chunks. I mean, these are no longer surprises, you know. These have become a reality. So it's, it all depends on uh, 
how good that sequencing librarian is or how good, uh, how good a listener is, he or she is. So as a scientist or as a researcher, you may want to tell him or her that probably you, know, you want to chop off these particular chunks, these particular regions, probably you might be interested in these particular regulatory regions of these interests, of, of these interesting genes. And then, you know, he or she would ideally, you know, uh, identify those particular, you know, uh, sequences. So, uh, so, um, so, so I would say in conclusion that uh, whole exome, whole exomes or clinical exomes would definitely identify long non-coding RNAs or at least uh, uh, long intergenic non-coding RNAs. And uh, it all depends on how good, you know, the libraries are prepared and how good the person uh, is, uh, is making these, you know, uh, libraries. What about for uh, cancer? Is your sequencing useful in terms of identifying uh, the particular mutations associated with various cancers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, certainly. I mean, um, uh, in fact, um, um, cancer. I would. I, I believe is uh, is um, is is largely studied using the next generation sequencing technologies. Um, albeit the fact that uh, people have been uh, studying uh, familial cancer types uh, across different disease phenotypes these days. Um, cancer is one uh, common most area people have been uh, identifying, but um, we're also, we have also ventured into identifying uh, mutations specific to cancer prostate in Indian phenotype. So um, in India, cancer prostate is also uprising. So uh, it's it's a third most uh, uh, or third most leading cancer in in in, in India, uh, thanks to the population based cancer registries that we have in India. So uh, these uh, uh, data data sets uh, have been have been publicly available. So we could collect uh, uh, a lot of samples uh, from um, from a from a clinical uh, collaborative uh, hospital here. And uh, we started whole exome sequencing uh, here. Uh, and with the pilot, we, we have analyzed so far about 30 samples so far. And we are increasing this up to another 70 in the near future. So, so, so cancer is one of the common most uh, uh, areas, but, but, but I would say uh, India is, uh, is uh, although it's a developed country, I would say it's developing in terms of the next generation sequencing approaches. Uh, there's a big brain drain, you know, coming uh, from the far west or from Europe and all those places, you know, where uh, where the researchers or, or the returnees from US or Europe, you know, they are trying to bring uh, the kind of, you know, uh, knowledge that they have leveraged way back uh, in their uh, host countries. So, uh, 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 but, but when it comes to in India, you know, no major cancer exomes or no major, you know, uh, uh, clinical uh, exomes related to cancers have been studied. So it's, it's just, you know, uh, beginning. So we are uh, still working on it. And the government of India, of course, you know, uh, it has also started uh, the Genome India project where, where, you know, it has launched about, about uh, 10,000 uh, Indian genome uh, projects. So that, that is also, you know, uh, you know, beginning to be studied. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Prash, what's the best way for people to find out more if they if they want to speak to you about uh, you know how you sequence you know companies, individuals? How can they look you up and find out things? Uh, that's that's a tr- that's a tricky question. With due respect to all these uh, service providers, uh, I mean, in in a country like India, you know, many labs uh, do not have these uh, 
next generation sequencing facilities but uh, uh, you know they are uh, largely dependent on the service providers um, even even if even if they have these uh, machines the sequences they probably they do not have the technicians um, uh, and of course you know this is also the case in um, in in some parts of us or europe as well uh, but what i strongly believe is um, that the clinicians should not be taken for a ride you know uh, they should not be uh, they should not be taken for a ride and they should not be you know fooled saying that you know this is uh, the analysis you know that that uh, that is done you know say for a whole exome sequencing or a whole genome sequencing so so so, so it's high time that uh, the clinicians and the researchers take a big note of uh, the happenings especially in the field of next generation sequencing they need to uh, make a big know-how of next generation sequencing strategies. They need to attend certain courses. They need to uh, collaborate. They need to go for a crisscross collaboration, understand the nitty-gritties of next generation sequencing, what's their cup of tea, and how they are looking, say, 10 years down the line uh, towards development of their projects. So uh, unfortunately, from my, uh, from my experience, uh, in India, at least, um, there are very few companies uh, who speak good science, um, especially in the areas of next generation sequencing. So um, we should always be careful. And uh, bioinformatics is always challenging. The next generation sequencing is always challenging. You should always reach consensus um, in whatever uh, ways uh, or whichever uh, strategies the sequencing is done. Ultimately, what matters is how good is your bioinformatician or how good is your bioinformaticist. So that plays a very important role. So probably it's a good idea to, uh, to, to reach consensus between two analyses. There's nothing wrong. Hey, look, you see, I've done this particular work. Would you mind, um, you know, um, reanalyzing my stuff? So there's nothing wrong. So there's no shying away here because what all matters is, you know, uh, to do good science. Uh, if, if, if one does good science, that would, that would bring a healthy uh, network you know, prevailing in the scientific community. And that would really uh, you know, bring you know, good publications you know, uh, in, 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 in academia. So, 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 so what, what I always believe is uh, the service providers should not take uh, the clinicians especially for a ride, which unfortunately from our experience, you know, they're really taken for a ride because, you know, poor clinicians or poor surgeons, they don't know the nitty-gritties of uh, genetics or next-generation sequencing. Uh, whereas the researchers, the other way, they should reach consensus. They should trust their bioinformaticists. They should ensure that they reach consensus with their bioinformatics analysis. They cannot say that, yes, you know, they have analyzed, you know, one time and they, and they just you know, wanted to publish it. That's not their cup of tea. They need to reach consensus. That's, that's certainly a very, very must, I would say. So this is where, you know, we could bridge the gap between, uh, you know, between the service providers making good next generation sequencing and the researchers uh, identifying, in you know, a good bioinformaticists so as to make, you know, good publications. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, Prash, thank you for coming and for your work and for your thoughts. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Richard. You're most welcome. Yeah. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.